0: Hello there, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Kincaid. The magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams. The issue this month is once again sponsored by our friends at Orbit Books. To learn more about them, visit orbitbooks.net. And don't forget, you can learn more about all of our subscription options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. As for the podcast, the stories in the podcast are produced by Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Post-production for Lightspeed is in association with Jim Freund. You can check out Skyboat Media's website at skyboatmedia.com. And on to the story. Our next offering for the October issue is The Five Deaths of Marvin Dimitri by Dylan Otto Kreider. The stories read for you by Stefan Rudnicki. Dylan Otto Kreider has worked as a journalist for 15 years. His work has appeared in Asimov's Daily SF, Lightspeed, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Canyon Review, Confrontations, and numerous local and national newspapers and magazines. He is the winner of the Asimov Award and the grand prize winner of the Writers of the Future. For more information, visit his website at DylanOttoKreider.com. And that does it for this week's intro. So without further ado, let's make the jump to Lightspeed.
1: THE FIVE DEATHS OF MARVIN DIMITRI by Dylan Otto Kreider I first met Marvin several years ago, but you don't have to know Marvin to know his story. That's the sort of thing that's just understood, that comes from living in Beaumont, Texas, where Marvin lived most all of his lives. Marvin looked like anybody you'd know, a jolly man with a belly and a beard, which he grew to hide the fact that he was missing his bottom jaw. The only truly remarkable thing about Marvin, aside from his extra lives, which had been blown off by a landmine during the Vietnam War the first time he died. He met his wife, Nora, at art school. He was studying to be a technical artist at the time because he liked to draw warplanes. Marvin was a good-looking guy then, tall, muscular, chiseled features, block jaw. And when he walked into life drawing class that first day, Nora knew he was the man she would marry. Nora had a gift, a certain sense that some people have that you just can't explain. She had that same feeling the week Kennedy was killed, and the day she knew her sister gave birth to her nephew without being told. And so when she said he was the man she would marry, she did. Nora had yet another premonition of Marvin's coming death shortly after the wedding vows, when Marvin got his notice. She tried to make him burn his draft card or flee to Canada. But Marvin always had a sense of duty, regretting he had but one life to give and all that, though in Marvin's case it was actually two. The other three were civilian. When Marvin says he's going to do something, he does it, and if there is anything powerful enough to counteract one of Nora's premonitions, it's the strength of Marvin's word. So when Marvin clasped Nora's arms right before he left and said, Honey, I promise you I'm coming back, She knew that no war or premonition, not even death itself, could keep Marvin away. But just as he was about to head to the bush, two officers came out and said, Listen up, because two of you aren't getting on that plane. Everyone was looking around in disbelief. Two of them wouldn't have to go to war. You could hear the men mumbling as they waited for the second name. Please, God, let it be me, let it be me. The officer called the first name. "'Ben Eiselman,' the officer said. A boy stepped forward, and the officer gave him a dime and told him to go call his mother because he was going to Germany. Then the men started praying again. All that is except for Marvin, who was hoping with all his might that he'd get to go on that plane. That's because Marvin had but two goals in life. One was to have enough money to buy a sailboat so he could go out on the ocean and fish the Atlantic dry, and the other was to go to Vietnam and shoot a Viet Cong. Not that Marvin had anything against them, per se, but in the realm of public opinion, those were the only people acceptable for shooting at the moment. And Marvin Dmitry, the sergeant called. They sent him to a base overlooking a small German village that still had buildings left toppled from the bombing during World War II. So Marvin spent the war drawing illustrations for propaganda pamphlets that were dropped over Russia. The transfer wasn't so bad. Marvin got over it. They only made him work until five, and he spent his evenings walking through the countryside until he found a rock or a tree he could lean against as he wrote letters home to Nora. As you can imagine, Nora was giddy about Marvin's new assignment. It didn't even bother her that this was the first time one of her premonitions hadn't come true. Then one day... Marvin was walking through the woods, composing a letter in his head about his tour being over, and as he took a step, he heard a strange clink and boom. Marvin had stepped on a landmine, resting undiscovered beneath the ground since the Second World War. Nora got the notice two weeks later, commending her husband's bravery and service in the line of duty. But Marvin wasn't really dead. Not really. Marvin came back months later with the remaining bones of his jaw wired shut. He had to use a pad and pencil to tell her about the military hospital in Germany. The last thing Marvin scribbled on the pad of paper that day was, I keep my promises. And it was true. The second time Marvin died was a bit like the first. Marvin and Nora had gone to a party, and the general wanted someone to follow his wife to make sure she got home all right. She'd had a bit to drink and wanted to leave early. "'Marvin offered, despite being dead drunk. "'Don't go,' Nora told him. "'This was during the big blizzard. "'You can hardly walk straight. "'Fiddlesticks,' Marvin said. "'I'll be coming back.' "'Marvin followed close behind the general's wife "'as she went down Main Street, past 3rd and into the snowbank. "'Marvin kept right on going, over the top of the general's car "'and down the hill, coming to rest against the trunk of a large fern tree.' "'Anyone who knew anything knew a man couldn't survive two hours in that cold. "'Any man, that is, except Marvin, "'who got out and wandered through the woods until he sobered up, "'finding his way back to the base around morning "'when it was time to report for duty. "'He saw the ambulances and the MPs on the side of the road "'but didn't give it much thought "'until he saw the look on his commanding officer's face. "'What on earth are you doing here?' he said. "'I was told you were dead.' Marvin thought about that a moment, then said, In that case, can I have the day off? The third time takes some explaining. Marvin had two fundamental habits at this point that were destined to be fatal, a growing sense of invincibility and an insatiable desire for raw red meat. It wasn't just Nora who warned him this time, but the doctors, too. Ah, shush, Marvin said. "'I've died two times in my life, "'and it's going to take more than a little undercooked veal "'to be the end of me.' "'There were lamb chops, mutton chops, ribeye, and black angus, "'not to mention beef, grilled, barbecued, and chicken fried. "'It was a particularly hearty serving of spam, hash, and rack of lamb "'that finally did Marvin in. "'His heart stopped. "'The doctor was his witness and pronounced him dead on the spot, "'and that was the third time Marvin died.' But again, Marvin came back. He always did. But by then, his death had already been recorded in the official paperwork, and that was his fourth, and that's pretty much how Marvin died. I guess I misspoke before. I suppose there eventually has to be a fifth. Even Marvin would admit that. We're still waiting to see exactly how he'll come back, if he ever does. But Marvin's not the type to sit around and wait for something to happen. He figured there was one thing he wanted to do before he broke his promise to Nora, and that was to buy that boat with his savings and take off to fish the Atlantic dry. And that's what he did. The day he left, Nora started to say something, but Marvin put a finger to her lips. I know what you're going to say, so don't bother. Nora just smiled and said, I know you'll be coming back. So it counted marvin made his promise if not in words marvin packed up his rod and reel and climbed onto his boat and that's where marvin is to this very day he's out there fishing until the atlantic's dry like he promised he'd do though it's taken a bit longer than expected if you see nora in a grocery store and ask how marvin's doing she's never worried everyone knows death can't keep marvin away no matter how many months roll by The banks haven't bothered to freeze his accounts, and the life insurance company wouldn't pay, though, of course, Nora never tried to collect. You've got to have absolute proof before you make a claim like that. Even if someone turned up with a body, pictures, something, you'd have to wonder. With Marvin, death never takes the first time, or the third. So until someone does bring incontrovertible proof to the contrary, as far as we're concerned... Marvin's Still Alive.
0: Welcome back, I hope you enjoyed the tale. If so, and if you find the time, please go to our website at LightspeedMagazine.com and leave a comment. Just click on Fiction, find this story, and then leave a comment there. Or if you'd like to help spread the word, go to iTunes, find the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast, and leave a review or rating there. And if you haven't already subscribed to Lightspeed Magazine, please take a moment to consider it and check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com subscribe. The stories are produced by Skyboat Road Company, Inc., which is spearheaded by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrator Stefan Ritnicki and in association with Jim Freund. We also hope you'll check out Lightspeed Year One, a collection of audio stories from this podcast's first Hugo-nominated year. Look for it at audible.com. And that's all for now. Thanks for listening.